This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. It's a great pleasure for me to be in CBF's Harrisburg office today. That's Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, capital of the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, part of the Susquehanna River Shed. The Susquehanna River supplies 50%, 50% of all the water entering the Chesapeake Bay. Think of that. Much of it comes from Pennsylvania, also from New York. And CBF has had an office in Harrisburg, a team of employees, since the late 80s. About three years ago, one of our donors actually told me that the Chesapeake Bay Foundation is the largest conservation group in Pennsylvania. We're working on water quality for the bay downstream, but we're also really focused on improving water quality in Pennsylvania. What's good in Pennsylvania is good for the bay downstream. We have about 20 people working for CBF in Pennsylvania from way up the Susquehanna all the way down to the lower counties, York, Lancaster, down near the mouth of the Susquehanna. Uh, So today I'm joined by Bill Chain, Senior Agriculture Program Manager in our Pennsylvania office. Welcome, Bill. Well, thank you, Will. I'm, I'm pleased that you're here with us today. Delighted to have you on the podcast series. Now, you, you, your route to CBF uh, is interesting. Give us a little bit of information about your background. Oh, Will, I am so pleased to work here at CBF, but uh, you're right. I did not come here, perhaps, uh, like others. I, uh, I'm a bit older. Um, um, I've been not around. Not older than me. Hey, Bill, yeah. you're not older than me. I've been around forever. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I do find myself perhaps with some mature thoughts in, in comparison to many of my colleagues. But I'm proud of those thoughts, and I've come by them honestly. Will, I was a farmer for 20 years. I owned 160 acres in Franklin County, Pennsylvania. Uh, while I was doing that, very tough economic times in a different way, back in the 80s and 90s, but uh, started teaching school. I taught vocational agriculture for 14 years, uh, FFA advisor, found myself uh, liking school more and more. The FFA, Future Farmers of America. That's correct, yeah, yeah. And then found myself in school administration. So after after about 20 years, we decided to sell the farm. I uh, devoted myself to my family in a career as a assistant principal, principal, assistant superintendent, and superintendent, and then uh, had the uh, great pleasure to retire from that profession and ask myself, what am I passionate about? And I went back in uh, my earliest experiences when I took those FFA students to the Bay to learn about uh, water and how their farms on the Conneguinet there in Franklin County Uh, contributed to the health of the Chesapeake. Ever since I did that in the early 80s, I found myself kayaking down on the bay and enjoying it. And uh, I had a passion for teaching young people, and I've always had a passion for the environment. I've been uh, a director and volunteer on uh, uh, preservation groups and uh, just so happy to uh, lend my what expertise I offer here to Chesapeake Bay Foundation in this very important work. Bill, you've been with us since 2015. 
And one of the things that I notice about you all the time is you are a, a, a true expert at finding common ground and looking for ways to have a win-win. Win for the environment, win for the farmer, win for the local communities, win for the economy. It's really a, a tremendous talent you have. And certainly your farming background lends enormous credibility to your work with farmers in Pennsylvania. So what we want to talk about today, the, the focus today, Bill, uh, is trees. And what the role of trees, and especially where they are and how they're placed, can be in improving water quality in Pennsylvania and helping the bay downstream. G give us a little bit of uh, a, a tree 101 in terms of Pennsylvania and water quality. Yeah, and as you know, here we are in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, named after Penn and Sylvania, the Latin root word for the forest. Uh, trees have been important for Pennsylvania since uh, it's really, we named it that. And if you look back in history... Uh, Were you there when it was named, Bill? I was not, no, but, okay, but, okay, I do, okay. but I do understand Pennsylvania once was covered by about 98% of the landmass was covered in trees. Now, we've lost some of that. We're, we're down in the upper 50 percentile now. But to really understand the importance of trees, streams, and water quality takes a bit of a look back into history and recognize how the earliest settlers uh, basically settled land. They found themselves following streams. That was their water source, and they used that water source for both livestock and themselves. And that worked. With lower numbers, it worked well. But those farms being built next to streams led to once carriage paths and then became our township roads. We find today, if we were to travel the countryside here and go back through Lancaster County and over into York County, on many of the country roads that we'd travel, we'd follow streams. And we'd also, when we located those Pennsylvania barns, which are bank barns back to the early German heritage, we'd see those barns built very close to the stream. Now, all those streams had uh, trees alongside of them years back, but they don't right now. So we ask ourselves, why is there a water quality issue? Well, we've got runoff from these rural roads. We've got farms and barns built right up next to the stream. And we've cut down most of the trees that protect those streams. So that's, that's why I'm excited to talk about trees and streams and the, really the remedy here for Pennsylvania. So, you know, I, I love doing these podcasts because I always learn something. 98% of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, a big state, was forested in the beginning? It was, Will. And, and uh, we're now at 50%? 57% is the number, I think. But the important part about that number, and anybody can do this, uh, jump on Google Earth, look at Pennsylvania, and you'll find it's not... Uh, Clear-cut, uh, obviously, but look down in the southern part of the Chesapeake Bay watershed, and you're not going to find near the tree density that you are in the north central and in the west. In other words, we've removed trees, but we haven't done it evenly throughout the state. There are 
sections of uh, Lancaster County being most notable where we can find very few forests where once it was covered in forests. And that's an important concept here as we talk about relining uh, these streams with trees. So we always say that agriculture is the number one industry in Pennsylvania, and I take it that includes silviculture, uh, forestry. Uh, forestry is very important to Pennsylvania. One of the uh, top uh, states uh, and homes to uh, hardwood production, oak. If, if, uh, if you're a forester or a furniture maker and you're looking for veneer logs, uh, oak, uh, you're looking in Pennsylvania. So when we talk about forested buffers on streams in agricultural areas that are crops and livestock, we're really talking about a strategy to remove pollution coming off the land and going into the water. And in terms of our two primary pollutants for the Chesapeake Bay, nitrogen and phosphorus, the systemic pollutants, uh, tree buffers do a heck of a good job. Well, let me uh, explain a study. And I got to tell you, I read the results of this study once and really wondered if I'm going to repeat this, and especially in front of a a farm group. I want to make sure I have this right. But a study done in Maryland, and it's uh, been some years ago, but the study has used any journal article that uh, you look for today that uh, talks about trees and their value in filtering uh, nutrients like uh, nitrogen and phosphorus. Uh, you're going to find this study footnoted somewhere in the early paragraphs, but this study had shown reductions of up to 88% of nitrates and 76% of phosphorus after agricultural runoff passed through that forested riparian buffer. That's an amazing number. That's, that's a staggering number. That caused me to go find the origin and make sure I had that thing right. But that is, that is what appears in literature, and that's what we know uh, trees can do. And that's, that's one of the reasons that this has to be one of the answers here in Pennsylvania. And when we say forested riparian buffer, sometimes people hear the word forest and think of the big, tall trees, deep, dark forests. A forested buffer can be woody plants. I mean, describe a little bit what a forested buffer would look like to someone who's not familiar with the term. Yeah, good question. Let's get familiar with this. A forested riparian buffer, of course, uh, contains trees, and it's alongside of a stream. It's just that simple, but it's more than that. The width uh, can be a couple hundred feet, and a couple hundred feet is very effective. When we graph and look at the effectiveness and, and width, once we get to about 35 feet from the stream, we begin to see a diminished return in going any wider. So a riparian buffer can be as narrow as just 35 feet from the stream bank. Now that riparian buffer is going to include trees, that's what makes it forested, but it's also going to contain some shrubs, they can be designed in very different ways, especially important here to the uh, farm audience because they don't want a lot of shading from uh, the exterior or the outward side of that buffer. So we can, we can plant some shorter trees, some shrubs and bushes that will be equally as effective along the, the field side of that buffer. And then as we get closer to the um, the edge of the stream, we're going to want to have some taller trees in there. 
but then it'll also be filled with grasses and beneficial shrubs and and uh, we you know today one of the most popular things to do is to plant some pollinator species in there something that flowers early summer midsummer and fall uh, creating opportunities to increase the bees and um, pollinators in our world that are just uh, you know kind of dying off and equally as important and the stream the the, the streams benefit from a reduction in the nitrogen and phosphorus, but there are also other benefits, aren't there? Oh, there. We could talk all day about benefits, <laughs> Will, but uh, you are right. So, yeah, you've hit on it. So there's a the the mechanical advantage that happens here is extremely important, and it's important not only there at the farm and and the miles of stream that might be out there in the rural part of the world, but in Pennsylvania, we're um, you know dominated by lots and lots of small towns, and these streams find their way to towns, and um, trees are, are capable of holding back flooding, mitigating the, the uh, harsh weather that we sometimes feel with hard downpours and three-inch rains in less than an hour. So uh, trees do a, a, n- a number of, of wonderful things. Can we talk about shade and how uh, the stream benefits with the tree and, and shade? Yeah, I was going to ask you because a lot of what everybody hears these days is increasing water temperatures. They don't just mean water temperatures in the Great Oceans or the Chesapeake Bays or the lakes. They're talking about stream temperatures as well. Those temperatures are certainly important for our water here in Pennsylvania. I'm just sitting here thinking about uh, my hometown of Carlisle that boasts of two very important trout streams, the Yellow Breaches the Latour, both are world-class uh, trout streams and bring in uh, sport fishermen from all over to fish those streams. It's a boost to the economy, and it's uh, just kind of neat driving by those streams daily and seeing the fly fishermen out there um, doing their thing. But uh, that that doesn't happen by accident. That requires cool water, And uh, when we talk about the the temperature of streams, we can directly uh, tie that to the uh, amount of shade that the stream is receiving from nearby trees. Again, you know, that's the reason for these stream side trees. Just a degree or two really changes the biology of a stream. Um, You know, uh, streams that are cooler carry more oxygen. Uh, you probably know also that, uh, similar to the bay, an increase in temperature brings diseases that uh, can be harmful to not just the trout or other fish, larger fish, but the uh, more important, the uh, microorganisms and macroorganisms that uh, form the basic um, and beginning, the smallest part of the food chain. So what does a tree do? Well, it offers that shade, and, and that's that's uh, really been proven, too, in studies. When, um, when we have those 90 and 95-degree days like we do in the summer, that's pretty darn warm, and I'm sure that uh, contributes to the warming of water. But uh, what is the main contributor to uh, making water warmer? It's the direct sunlight, the radiation uh, of the uh, sun uh, pouring down on water. That warms it up quicker. And if we can uh, provide some kind of shade to 
keep the uh, stream out of the direct sunlight, that we're going to keep that water cooler and everything's going to benefit. And, you know, it's, it's just so, um, so basic, but uh, warmer water holds less oxygen. Cooler water holds more oxygen. Any aquatic creature, uh, whether it's in a stream in Pennsylvania or at the beach uh, at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, needs as much, as much oxygen as it can get. So the, 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 the temperature is critical as well. Let's just talk a little bit about what the trees do as far as roots stabilizing the bank. Uh, I think that's pretty darn important. And, you know, uh, the, uh, if we're thinking about flood mitigation or thinking about how to hold back any kind of uh, sediment rushing to uh, downstream, we can depend on those tree roots to provide the kind of stability that uh, keeps that bank stable and, and keeps soil loss at a minimum. That's, that's very important to the, to the stream and, and the health of the uh, stream. And I, I've always said to use the term sediment again just for a bit. That, you know, sediment really is just the transport mechanism that brings pollutants downstream to waters below and to the Chesapeake Bay. And, and as you say, it's, it's one of the pollutants of the Chesapeake itself. So I um, want to touch base on the, the, the last thing I, I want to make sure I understand and our listeners do. We talk a lot about fencing cattle out of streams. Uh, first of all, you don't want cattle defecating in the streams. That's pretty basic. They, they, they knock down the stream banks. They add to the erosion, the sedimentation, the loss of topsoil. They damage the bottom, the macro and micro invertebrate populations and all the rest. But cattle in streams is also not good for the animal itself. The well-managed dairy farmers are keeping cows out of the stream, and they do that for both uh, environmental reasons, but they're also very concerned about the cow's health and production. Um, cows nowadays, dairy, dairy cows, are producing huge volumes of milk, and in order to do that, they have to drink a huge volume of water, and that water's got to be pretty darn inviting for them to drink and free of bacteria. So um, many of the well-managed dairy farms are moving those cows out of the stream so that they're, they're in control of what the cows are drinking. The cows aren't drinking uh, water that's uh, languishing in puddles that uh, other cows are walking through. The other uh, real benefit in, in getting cows out of the stream is for hoof health. Um, bacteria infections uh, that uh, might even um, create uh, mastitis, which is a, uh, a bacterial infection that uh, pretty much is very damaging to uh, lactation and, and the cow's overall health. So keeping cows out of that, um, that stream that uh, I can picture here as we talk where other cows are moving through and there's uh, muddy water and disease and uh, bacteria breeding in there. Getting those cows out of there keeps the herd health better, uh, lowers the vet bills, lowers the, uh, the uh, production costs, and uh, increases milk production. So that's what most of the well-managed dairy farmers are doing. And so when you say fencing cattle out of streams, you can certainly mean actual fences, wire fences, but the forested buffer, the wooded thick buffers act as a fence as well, don't they? So that's one more benefit. Bill, this has been fascinating and I'm not gonna let us get away 
without drawing on your background as an educator to say a word or two about CBF education in Pennsylvania and the benefit, the long-term investment that education of young people uh, brings to the Bay and to water quality in Pennsylvania? Well, we started our conversation with me talking about my background in education. So you know that uh, education's always ranked uh, highly in my life, and, and I believe it's uh, worth the investment. So I'm proud of our uh, Chesapeake Bay Foundation and the amount of investment we make in educating young people. Much of that happens from uh, a seat in a canoe and, and observing uh, water quality uh, right there sitting upon the canoe in the stream. Uh, that's pretty exciting to do, but I get excited uh, actually myself, Will, because uh, every once in a while our educators call me out and and uh, we might have a farm tour and look at some conservation uh, practice implementation and, and really explain how that's uh, tied directly to our local water quality. So um, there's really, honestly, um, a lot more to be proud of with uh, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. We are uh, doers, and I think uh, we can be proud of that. Uh, we have our restoration team that are busy planting trees uh, throughout the state. We have that educational uh, presence that's uh, got canoes on water almost every day, spring to fall. Uh, we find ourselves taking uh, decision makers out on trips and, um, and not just educating the youngest crowd, but educating uh, folks actually that are working out there or representing governments uh, and have uh, uh, um, an interest in understanding our environment a little bit more. So we do it all, uh, right down through advocating and, and, uh, and lobbying, supporting legislation that's uh, good for uh, farm conservation and helps uh, farmers uh, to be able to implement new practices. So uh, really CBF has a lot to be proud of. And I think, um, you know, frankly, we get a lot of respect from uh, those folks were working with uh, as a result. Yeah, one of the great things about CBF is that, and, and it's it's very rare. I don't know why it, it has to be so rare, but it is. But we're one of the few organizations that combines employees, teachers, with students out in the field from upstream, up uh, up the Pennsylvania watershed all the way down to the mouth of the bay, at this, in the same organization that has experts like you in agriculture, experts in other forms of uh, pollution and pollution mitigation in downstream sections. And that makes for a very elegant and rich organization that's doing both environmental education for students and for teachers, even for uh, professionals in the education field, uh, as well as working on solutions, working in the legislature, working with the private sector to bring about solutions to reduce pollution. So I tell you, I, I, I've really enjoyed this. I love coming to the Harrisburg office, and this was a rare treat today because you're often out in the field. So to get a chance to spend uh, 20 or 30 minutes with you talking about what you do and what we can accomplish together is a, is a great treat. So, Bill, thanks so much. Uh, this is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. I've been joined by... Bill Chain, our Senior Agriculture Program Manager in CBF's Pennsylvania office in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.